Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. So we begin a new series today called Road Dogs. I need to explain to you what a road dog is, okay? If you're on a baseball team or a football team or a basketball team and they're going to go on the road and play an opponent away from home and they know it's going to be difficult and they're expecting some challenges and some, some difficulties, they will often encourage each other by saying, hey, we're road dogs, you know, we're road dogs. We can do this. We're strong. We're tough. We, we, we're not going to let this bother us. We're going to go on the road and we're going to win. That's what a road dog is. For the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul and his missionary journey, is particularly his second. That's what we're doing today. And so that's where the title comes from, and that's, that's kind of what, where, where we're headed. So I want to start by um, asking you, when was the last time you took a trip? And the answer is, I think... It hadn't been that long ago because I, judging from your Facebook page, um, you go on lots of trips and it's always fun for me to see you go on these trips to places like Florida and the beach and to take your little picture and have a little drink there on the side and talk about how much fun you're having while we're back in Indiana not having all that fun. I love that. No, I, actually I do. I, I do love it. Uh, I'm glad that you get to travel like that. It's encouraging for me to know that your life is good and that you get a chance to have some, you know, those are reward kind of things. When you work hard and you, you get to play hard a little bit. And so I know some good friends of mine are going on vacation this week, and I, I genuinely do. I want them to have a great time. They've earned it. They've worked hard, and now comes playtime, and it's wonderful. Some trips are different than others, though, Right? Some trips, you, you take a small trip. It doesn't take a lot. Dee Dee and I went to visit our friends Michael and Rochelle Collins in Mitchell, Indiana last week, and um, not a whole lot about that, that that needed to be planned out. Pack an overnight bag. We don't need a whole lot. Hardest thing we had to do was kennel the dog because Piper, Michael, and Rochelle are not ready for that train wreck, I can tell you right now. So we, we left her at, in the kennel, which just breaks our heart to do that, but we did and uh, drove the two hours over, saw Top Gun last Sunday night. It was excellent, uh, every bit as good as the first one. Highly commend Top Gun to you. And um, just had a great time. We woke up Monday morning, just sat on the porch and talked, and um, you know, just had a great time. And that's a short trip. But some of the trips you take, take a little more planning than that, right? If you're going on vacation, you're going a long way away, you've got, there's some, there's some coordination that, that has to happen. Um, Let's imagine, for the sake of our, our launching this morning, that four young men are going to take a trip to the West Coast. Their goal is to do car camping in all of the national parks out west. They're going to drive, and um, uh, you know they want to see all the western states. And so you ask yourself, four young men <clears throat> in an old trusty conversion van, on the way to the West Coast, what could go wrong, right? Well, <laughs> what could go wrong? Six weeks, four stinky, sweaty young men, close quarters. They leave Indiana. They head west. They're going to see the Badlands. They're going to uh, check out Yellowstone. They're going to go check out Yosemite. Maybe they'll get to Moab and Utah. What could go wrong? Well, they get to Nebraska, and the trusty old van breaks down in the middle of nowhere. And that tests things a little bit. They get to the Pacific Northwest and it rains, not just normal rain, it rains in biblical proportions. And it slows up their trip and they don't get to do some of the things that 
they had hoped to do. Um, There is a squabble along the way because you throw that much testosterone into a trusty old conversion van and eventually muscles get flexed and things start happening and, and there's a squabble that happens. And then to add to all that, one of the guys has a, a, a mountain bike accident and cracks some ribs and that requires a trip to the ER and you know that wasn't on the schedule. So uh, let's just understand something this morning. Journeys can be complicated and sometimes confusing. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36, we find these words. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now, Paul and Barnabas are messengers, and that conversation takes place in 50 AD. Now, let me just put that in perspective for you. That's about 20 years removed from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So if we, if we context that a little bit, let's think about 9-11. It's, 9-11 was about almost 21 years ago. And so when you're looking at this in the scope of centuries, you could call that a current event. It's happened fairly recently, enough that many of us in this room remember where we were when it happened, remember how we felt, remember seeing the pictures. And so the resurrection of Christ is about 20 years removed from these conversations that are happening with Barnabas and Paul. And, and so they're going to go on, but the, the problem with, with the ancient days is a lot of people did not know about Jesus. They hadn't been told about the, the person of Jesus or the crucifixion or the resurrection of Christ. They hadn't been told that he was nailed to a cross for their sins. They hadn't been told that he had taken their sin on himself, that that uh, God had basically come to earth uh, to meet us in our humility and suffering, and that when we reached up to him, he reaches down to us to help us. And, and Paul and Barnabas are traveling with good news, and they're telling their story, and they're basically saying, believe that God did this for you, and be willing to die for him because he was willing to die for you. They are messengers of the good news. And then you read that one statement, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And you just wonder if they have any idea what's gonna happen next. You wonder if they know that this will be a journey that will take three years of their life, 2,700 hard miles where they walk and they sail over the next three years. And you ask yourself the question, what could possibly go wrong? For the next six weeks, we're going to travel with them. We're going to go to cities like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens. We're going to go to places like Corinth and southern Greece. And each week, we're going to ask the same question. How in the world did these road dogs find strength for their journey? And how can you and I find strength for ours? You will be on one, you know. You're you're on a journey. And if you're not now you will eventually be on one. Maybe you're on one today. If you have decided to follow Jesus and you are dialed into his leading, I guarantee you that at some point you will find yourself on an unpredictable journey because that's what following Jesus is. It is an unpredictable journey. He will take you to places you never anticipated going. It's the young couple who says, 
let's adopt. There will be some challenges. It's that young man who gets down on one knee and he pops open that box and he looks at his hopefully bride-to-be like a cow dying in a hailstorm. (laughs) And he says, will you marry me? And she says, yes. And they lived happily ever after. What could possibly go wrong? Let's establish the fact, before we get too deep into this, that the journeys that we go on are not always journeys of our own choosing. Someone hears the words, it's cancer. And suddenly are thrown into a maze of navigating treatment options and calendars and doctor's appointments and and, you know, all the uncertainty that comes with it. Employees are being called in one at a time, and they're being set down and told, we're going to outsource your department. And now not only do they have the problem of trying to absorb the shock of being unemployed, but now they have to pivot, and they have to be able to look for new employment because they've got to provide for their family. Maybe it's a routine pregnancy ultrasound, and it tells you that this pregnancy is going to be anything but routine. Let's get it straight. Many journeys are challenging and confusing. And the question that we're asking for the journey that you are on is, how can you find strength for your journey? Today, I want to look at three challenges that Paul and his team experienced right out of the gate on what we refer to as their second missionary journey. If you had your Bible and you, you, if you were to open that and look at the back, there's always those maps, right? And, and there's usually several pages. There's usually um, maps for the Old Testament, and then there's some that show the Holy Land and what it's like today. And, but one of the maps you usually get is, is the, the maps of the missionary journeys of Paul. And so we're going to talk about today three challenges which are pretty common challenges in life, and we see these in the life of Paul and his team as they travel. Challenge number one, the challenge of conflict. The challenge of conflict, and when I say that, I'm talking about interpersonal conflict. A strained relationship with someone uh, that, that you're, you care about, you're close to them. I want to return to that verse that we read a minute ago, Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas three word, four words, let us go back, let us go back, which indicates that they're going to go somewhere they've been before. This is a reference to the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And on that first missionary journey, it was Paul And it was Barnabas, and it was another guy that maybe you've heard of. His name was John Mark. And they leave Antioch. Antioch was this this city in the east. Um, And you'll notice there's two Antiochs on this map. I'm going to refer to Antioch West and Antioch East. Antioch East was a sending center. It was a very stable Jesus community in Antioch East. And they were constantly sending people out to try to evangelize And if there were churches that were in existence, they would send people out to go see about those churches and make sure that they were okay. And so Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they leave Antioch, they sail, they get to Cyprus, they go across the island of Cyprus, they board another boat, 
they head north uh, on, this, on the Mediterranean, and they come into the port of Perga, and something very interesting happens at Perga. John Mark balks. He looks at Paul and Barnabas, and he says, I'm done. I'm not going any further. I'm going back home. This is not for me. You guys travel on from here. And now the trio has become a duet. And Paul and Barnabas go on from Perga to Antioch. And, and you see that little arrow there on the screen. That arrow represents about 200 miles of very difficult uphill terrain for them. I've got a picture here to show you. This is central Turkey. If you hike in like Paul and Barnabas did, uh, from Perga and you get up into the hill country, this is what you start to experience. This is central Turkey. This is the kind of terrain that they would have had to have navigated. Um, I want to show you a road that the Romans built that, that they, more than likely, it's very, very likely that Paul and Barnabas walked that very road, okay? So you're looking at a little bit of history there. And I show you all of this just to help you respect the miles, the hard, long difficult miles that Barnabas and Paul traveled on behalf of Jesus. Paul and Barnabas have traveled hundreds of miles together. They've traveled together. They've served together. They've prayed together. They have suffered together. They hit Antioch. They go to Iconium. They hit Lystra. They go on to Derby, and they are so close to home. All they have to do is turn left and go back to Antioch East and their home. But instead, they reverse course and they go back to Derby, back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Perga. And you remember what happened in Perga. That's where John, John Mark left them. And from Perga, they will sail back to Antioch. The question is, why did they reverse route? Why didn't they just go home from Derby? Why did they turn around and go to all those places again? And the answer to that is because they wanted to make sure that these young fledgling churches that they had started on this first journey had a chance to launch and be successful. They didn't want to take a chance that they might not go back and the church would die on the vine, that they, they would not, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to lose those churches. Paul says those words to Barnabas, let us go back to visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Are they under persecution? Are they being threatened? Have they dried up and blown away? Are they thriving? What's going on with those churches that we started? Let's go back and let's see how they're doing. Welcome to the world of personal conflict, interpersonal conflict. Barnabas hears Paul say that. Let's go back. And he's like, great, I'll go get John Mark. And Paul says, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> no John Mark. We're not taking John Mark. And Barnabas is like, Paul, we really need to take John Mark. He's grown, he's learned from his experience. We need to take him. And Paul's like, no, he, he left us high and dry in Perga. I'm not taking a chance on that again. He's not ready for this kind of stuff. And Barnabas says, no, I really think he deserves a second chance. And, Bar and, and Paul says, no, I really don't think that he does. Back and forth this goes. He's going. No, he's not. He's going. No, he's not. They haven't even left town yet. And they're experiencing this deep chasm in their interpersonal experience, and there's conflict over who should even go. 
Acts 15, verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia, that's where Perga is, and had not continued with them in the work. He's going. No, he's not going. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Now listen to me. Paul and Barnabas are seasoned, mature believers in Jesus. This is not two fly-by-night people that aren't grounded. These are the the best and brightest missionaries we have. These are spiritually, as spiritually mature as you can get in this time. And they should have been able to iron this out, but they couldn't, and they didn't. We read these tragic words in verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. The band broke up over this conflict. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Barnabas heads in one direction, Paul heads in another. The challenge of interpersonal conflict. It happens. And it's painful. This conflict doesn't stay broken, though. We we know that at some point, maybe years later, it is reconciled. We're not really exactly sure how or when. We just know this because in Colossians 4 and in 2 Corinthians 4, we see that Paul references John Mark and refers to him as useful to me in ministry. So at some point, some things got mended along the way. It didn't stay broken, but it certainly was broken at one time. It happens. And the goal right now for me is not to give you advice on how to stay out of personal, interpersonal conflict. That's not the goal. The goal for me is not to teach you how to mend interpersonal conflict right now. That's not the goal. I simply want us to acknowledge that between these two, there is an interpersonal conflict and they could not resolve it. It does not stay a secret. When you love, you put your heart at risk. Christian business partnership. And sometimes they can break up, and that can happen among mature, seasoned believers where they don't see things the same way and they go different directions. A new church is going to plant, and people have come together to envision what this new church will look like, and they meet in someone's home, and and they start to strategize and pray over it, and they set a launch date, and as they get closer to that launch date, one family starts to imagine the church looking like this, the other family starts imagining the church looking like this, and those two things are not even close to the same thing, and they cannot coexist. And when opening day comes, one of those families or several families aren't there. Because there's been a conflict, and it's painful. Maybe you're the leader of a nonprofit, and you work closely with someone for years. Maybe even someone who was your greatest fan at some point, and then they become your greatest critic. And you hear that, and you say, well, Brett, that's depressing. Well, it can be. But I point you to hope. And I point you to understand that this story made it into the Bible. They did not try to sweep this conflict under the rug and act like it didn't happen. Hey, man, whatever happened to Barnabas? Well, 
there was a conflict. It was an argument. And they couldn't work their way through it, and the band breaks up. Just seeing this in the Bible should be enough for you to be able to take a big, deep breath and just go, I am not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who goes through things like that. I'm not the only person who's ever experienced that kind of conflict. You are not alone. And I want want you to take note of something. They're still moving. They're still doing the stuff God called them to do. Neither Paul or Barnabas, when this argument happens, they don't zone out, they don't numb out, they don't check out. They recognize that they are called by God. They know they have something to do, and they, they focus in on getting the work done. They don't act like babies. They don't pout. They don't turn around and walk another direction. That's not what they do. They focus in. How do you get your heart hurt? How do you get roughed up a little bit and stay on your journey? Because to love is to put yourself at risk. They're still moving, and that's one of the challenges on the journey. Conflict. Barnabas and John Mark head south to the island of Cyprus. Paul, with his new sidekick Silas, heads north up into the northeast corner um, of the Mediterranean. So they're out of town now, at least. New cities, new towns, new people, new sights, new sounds, right? Nope. The second journey begins with Paul going back to the places he's already been twice. Remember those four words, let us go back. Challenge number two, the challenge of repetition. This journey does not begin by going to new places. This journey begins by going to old places, places they've already been. Acts 16, verse 1, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And we assume by that that he was not a believer. So Timothy is from this ethnically diverse Jewish mother, Greek dad. And this is what happens with Timothy. Verse 2, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. They talked about Timothy you know, he's up and coming, he's, he's going to skyrocket, he's, he's got leadership written all over him, he's going to grow up and be one of the leaders of our church here, it's going to be awesome, you know, we're so happy to have Timothy in our church, and Paul says, hey, that's great, I'm going to take him with me. What? He's, Paul, he's, he's ours. No, Paul said, no, he's going with me. And now it's Paul and Silas, and Timothy. And at the beginning, Timothy will be, it will be a mentoring relationship between Paul and Timothy. But as time goes on, you see Timothy grow into this great leader and this great pastor, and you see that they are co-laborers in the church. But please notice, it's back to Derby, back to Lystra, back to Iconium, and then back to Antioch, and we call this the second missionary journey, but it didn't start that way. Repetition is challenging, and it's especially challenging in our culture because we are a part of a culture that is addicted to new, addicted to it, and we are allergic to boredom. We are allergic to the old. 
We don't like that. I said this a couple of months ago, I'll say it again. If everything has to be new and interesting all the time, you will miss out on your greatest opportunities for impact and influence. I want to give you two words to think about this morning. Excitement and effectiveness. If your goal in life is for everything to be exciting, then just grab for the next new thing. It'll always be exciting. You'll just always have something new to play with. But if your goal in life is to have a high level of interpersonal effectiveness, if you want to be someone who is not simply excited, but who is effective, then this will often require you to not simply go to new places, but to go to old places that you have experienced before. To go back to the old things again and again and again. It's like a coach driving his players back to the fundamentals. Let's talk about youth ministry for a minute. Did you know that the average stay of a youth pastor, and this statistic is old, I imagine it's not even this long now. Did you know that the average stay of a youth pastor at a church is 18 months? 18 months. Let me just ask you a question. What on earth can anybody expect from a youth pastor who stays 18 months? Let me answer it for you, nothing. There are no roots. It likely would take two years, more likely three, four, or five years before that ministry really starts to bear any fruit at all and you start to see things happening. Cross Lane is very, very fortunate. In just the last 30 years, Cross Lane has had four youth pastors and it averages about one youth pastor for every seven and a half years. Do you know how blessed we are to be able to say that? And we have a, a young, he's in his 40s, I can't call him a young man anymore. Ryan has been our youth pastor for the last 17 years, done a great job. And the stability that comes with having someone here that long makes a huge difference. What I'm trying to get you to see is you can't microwave this stuff. It takes time. You've got to get into the trenches. You've got to get to know people. You've got to love people. You've got to serve people before they will trust you and let you in and, and, and know that you really care about them. If you want life to be consistently exciting, then just seek new things. If you want to be effective, it often is going to take going back to some old things. It doesn't have to be new to be good. I've been doing this job for 22 years, this job. I've been at Cross Lane for 30, but I've been preaching for 22 years. I did a little math this week, which should frighten all of you. Um, I went to Bible college, so I wouldn't have to take math classes. I took Greek instead, and trust me, that was easier for me. I've been preaching for 22 years. I did a little math. I preach about 90 times a year. You take 90 times 22, you get close to, not quite, to 2,000 sermons. Real close. I think it's about 20 shy of 2,000 sermons. Which means 2,000 times I have been backstage and I've climbed those stairs, I've come out here, I've done a communion meditation for you, and then I've spoken to you. 2,000 times. And someone might say, well, Brett, do you still find it interesting? Yes, I do. I, I really do. 
Um, new messages, new series like today, start a new series. New people, I've met new people today. We have visitors every Sunday we have visitors. It's, it's exciting, it's fun, it's, I, I love doing it. But not in the sense of I've never done this before. I mean, I've done this lots of times. You know, I talk to you from time to time and somebody will intimate to me something along the lines of, Brett, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you get up there in front of all those people. If I had to get up and talk in front of all those people, I would freak out. Well, I, I understand that. It's not for everybody, but you just got to understand, I've done this for so long. This is kind of like my living room, okay? I'm, I'm not nervous. I'm, I'm, I look forward to this. See, my goal in life is to be as effective for Jesus as I can be. And, and I don't have a lot of gifts. There's a lot of things I don't do very well. Just talk to the people that know me. They're happy to tell you that. But this seems to be one of those places that God can use me. And I, from best I can tell, I have some semblance of effectiveness on Sunday mornings in this room as I talk to people. It doesn't have to be new to be good. There's something to be said for the effectiveness of climbing the same steps over and over and over again. At which point you'd say, well, Brett, are we still talking about ministry? Not now. We pivot and we talk about parenting. Talking about reading one more Bible study, or one more Bible study, one more Bible story before you put them to bed. One more night, one more round of prayers, bedtime prayers and kisses before you tuck that little monster in for the night, right? Parents, I know that for you it can start to feel a little like Groundhog Day. We wake up, we feed them, we get them on the bus, they go to school, they come home. We get them to practice, we get them home, we feed them, we clean them up, we put them to bed, we wake them up, we feed them, we send them to school, we get them, we bring them home. It just feels like you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. Let me just tell you, master the mundane. Master the mundane. Embrace those repetitious moments that you just kind of mindlessly go through it. As a, as a father with grown kids now, I look back and those are the things I miss. I miss those bedtime prayers. I miss cleaning them up in the tub. I miss those little talks we used to have as I, as I was tucking them in. There's something that is good and stable and right in repetition. Sure, you can do some interesting stuff around the edges, and I would encourage you to do that, but let us go back. Let us go back. Begin asking for strength for the tasks that are not new. Instead of constantly being on the lookout for new things, ask God to strengthen you for old tasks, for one more week, for one more month, for one more year. Parents, please remember that you are not raising kids. You are raising future adults. More importantly than that, you are raising, you are raising future parents. The responsibility that you have when you have these children is immense. And a society counts on you to get it right. Ask for journey for that repetitious thing. We have lots of teachers that work at Cross Lane. Uh, that, that come to Cross Lane. 
Can I just tell you that you need to be asking for strength for your journey because a lot of the things you do, you do over and over and over again. And you just wonder, is it making any difference? Well, listen, that repetition's gonna make a difference. But it takes, it takes a heart that understands that this is important. And sometimes we just get worn out and you just need to be asking God, give me strength for the journey. Nurses, how many thousands of patients have you waited on? Have you dispensed your care and compassion toward? And how easy is it to forget that it's a human being in the bed? You would not be human if you forgot once in a while that you were dealing with other humans, right? Because you can just do the same thing so often and maybe it's not a great day and something happened and it's got you in a bad mood and you go in and you just kind of forget that you're dealing with a person. They kind of become an item or a thing as you scan the wristband and as you put the water on the table, or as you take a temperature, whatever it is that you do, may you ask for strength in the repetition of that journey where you say, God, I don't ever want to take one of these people for granted. I want to always remember that they're human beings, that you've called me to this, and there's ministry here. For those of you that volunteer at Cross Lane, and there are many, many, many of you, and you work, and you work out of sight many times. Nobody knows what you're doing. You very seldom get thanked. We don't pay you. And you come and you give yourself to us. May you enjoy strength, new strength for the old task to know that God is using you. Repetition is a challenge. There can be a problem of repetition, but there's also a power of repetition. Look at the next verse, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. For some of these places, it's, hard. it's Paul's third time there. And something is starting to lock in, and some of these churches are starting to thrive. They're starting to get it. They grew, they grew in their faith, and they grew daily in numbers. That is the power of repetition. So now they're in Antioch, and they need to go someplace new. Paul, we think Paul wants to go to Ephesus. It would make sense that he would want to go to Ephesus, because Ephesus is the gym. It's the trade center. It's the place on the eastern side of the Aegean Sea. It is the fourth largest city in the Roman world. It has a massive harbor. To establish a church in Ephesus would have meant a, a catalytic moment for the whole region. And Paul was trying to be strategic, and we think he was going to Ephesus. Ephesus was in the Roman province of Asia, not to be confused with the continent of Asia, there was a Roman province called Asia. They leave Antioch, probably bound for Ephesus, and then we read these words. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's where Ephesus was, and God said, no, you're not going there. Well, then what do we do next? They're not sure. Welcome to the next challenge the challenge of uncertainty. So the Holy Spirit has put the kibosh on going to the province of Asia. Well then, let's go up to Bithynia. Then we read this. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Well, Brett, how does that happen? Well, I don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus was preventing them. I know what it looks like in my life. Doors just get closed. Well, I think I'm gonna do that. No, you're not. Oh, okay. Roadblock one, and they reroute. Roadblock two, and now we reroute. 
and they end up in Troas, where I really don't think they knew what to do next. Welcome to the challenge of uncertainty, and that is exactly where some of you are today. Good news. After organic chemistry, there are some things you know, and one of them is being a doctor is not in your future, <laughs> right? You can't be a doctor if you can't pass organic chemistry. It's called negative guidance. It's when your journey takes a turn that you did not initiate. You didn't choose it. It kind of got chosen for you. Verse 8, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And they take off from Troas and they land in a place called Neapolis. Today it, was, it is known as Kavala, and this is the port. And it's very likely that Paul and Silas landed in that very port. Philippi is 10 miles away, and they will walk from that port up to Philippi, which is where the team will be next week, and we will we'll have our lesson from next week. But it has taken challenge after challenge after challenge to get to this point. Challenges that they have weathered and persevered just to get to the jumping off place where they could start their missionary journey. Amazing things are going to happen in cities like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth. But there will be huge challenges along the way. I have a question for you. How are you? How are you doing? How many of you would say, well, Brett, man, I, you know, the Troas thing, I think that's where I'm at right now. I really don't know what's next. I'm trying to figure it out. There's a season of uncertainty, and we, we really don't know where we are right now. Listen to me. It's possible to be on a journey that is a good journey. It's possible to find yourself in a good story and feel like you are surrounded by the goodness of God, that you still feel like he's there and he's present and everything's good, but you can have all of that and still have miserable days. God can be present in your life, blessing things, and you can still have miserable days. Journeys can be complicated and confusing, and when they are, the journeys that God is blessing and showing himself present, be thankful. My prayer and blessing for our six-week journey of our series, Road Dogs, is this. May you find strength for your journey. When you're passing through agonizing and painful interpersonal conflict, may you have strength for the journey. And when you are going through mind-numbing repetition and you don't think you can take another step, may you have strength for the journey. When you come into those moments where you don't know what's next and it's kind of scary, and you feel absolutely lost, May you have strength for the journey. Let's pray together. Father, we're all on one. Some of us are listening intently for your voice and trying to do what you're calling us to do. Others of us are not. Some care deeply and some don't. But we're all on a journey.
And it's my prayer, Lord, that we would understand that this journey is going to take a lot out of us. We're going to encounter a lot of things that we don't anticipate. Some of it's going to be hard. And we just confess to you that we need you. We need your strength for this journey. And I'm begging you for it now. May we know your presence. May we feel your call. And even on those days when everything is going south and we just don't understand and there's so much uncertainty and there's conflict and there's repetition, God, would you show up in the middle of that and remind us, hey, I called you. And this is my journey you're on and you're doing this for me. And may we find what we need in those moments to take one more step of faith and one more after that and one more after that. We honor you and we worship you today, Father. Thank you for a gorgeous day. May we honor you and bless you in it. It's in Jesus' name, amen.